0: I've always loved the gospel passage that we hear today. It's the beginning, really, of Jesus' public ministry, having celebrated his baptism just a few weeks ago. But there's a lot of little cues and odd words in today's readings that I think are so easy to gloss over. Words like Naphtali, Zebulun, the land west of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. So why then are these names and places, these geographic locations, why are they there? They must serve a purpose, because otherwise, why would our author Matthew have included them? Well, the world Jesus entered into, much like ours today, was a terribly divided and broken world. The people of Israel, children of God, descendants of Abraham through Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel, are all scattered throughout this holy promised land. They actually became so scattered over so long of time, about 2,000 years, that they became divided into two major kingdoms. You have the kingdom of the north, where Nazareth is, where Jesus grew up, and then you have the kingdom of the south, Judea, where John the Baptist was doing most of his ministry. And so today, we hear that Jesus is leaving the southern kingdom, and he's going north. He's going to his homeland, to Galilee, to Nazareth. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. So another question is, Why does he do this? Why is he going up there? Well, practically, we're just told that his cousin, John, was arrested and that he's going to be beheaded eventually. And so if this man, John, his cousin, was being beheaded for preaching and baptizing in the name of Jesus, then Jesus himself, you know, should have cause for concern in that region. But the second and more important reason, the deeper reason is this, his mission has begun. This marks the beginning. And the clues to those, to that reason, is what we hear in the first reading, those words of Zebulun and Naphtali. These two names point to a key geographic region of the north where God made his covenant with King David about a thousand years before Jesus, the greatest king of Israel. He told David that your kingdom will never end, that it will last forever. Well, okay, that's great. But so why, again, are these names brought up? And why does Jesus, of all places, go there? Because remember, these 12 tribes, right? So you have 10 in the north and 2 in the south. But of these northern kingdom tribes, they have a lot of problems. About 800 years before Christ, a couple hundred after that promise was made to David, the big bad Assyrian empire came down from the north, the pagans, and they just utterly conquered the northern kingdom, destroyed them. Whoever they didn't kill, they exiled and they intermarried with pagans to kill off their line. And so of the little that remained, all hope was lost, destruction. In some, the entire unity of the 12 tribes of Israel seemed to have been lost forever. And that promise God made, that covenant that they'll last forever, they were tempted to think it was untrue, that it was impossible. So that's the scene Jesus is entering into, that darkness that we hear about in the first reading and then again in the Gospel. But then get this, Jesus, who is the light of the world, the Word of God, enters that darkness. He enters that exact spot where a 1,000 years before that covenant was made, the same exact land where this horrific exile, utter destruction happened. He enters it. And so for us, not knowing this history, it's just two weird words, Noctali and Zebulun. But for the Jewish people, first century when Matthew is writing this, this would have utterly blown their minds. Like, are you serious? There's a light that, were, that darkness was? It stupefied them. Is this truly the anointed one, the Savior, Jesus Christ? The one who is to reunite the kingdom of God? I mean, that was our second reading. Jesus has come to unite, that we're one in mind and spirit. So if you haven't guessed by this point if Jesus is the one, he is, right? But the craziness of what Jesus is doing today in the gospel doesn't stop there, right? Because the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity, God is perfect. So whatever he does, including saving us, is absolutely perfect. Take, for example, the the Garden of Eden, right? The first, the original sin. You have three main figures. You have Adam, right, the old man, you have Eve, and then you have the tree of life, right, that which caused them to sin and fall. And so to reverse that sin, which they did, God needs to perfectly reverse it. So he gives us a new Eve in Mary, who perfectly obeyed God, saying yes with everything. Then he gave us the new Adam, right, Christ, who takes all of the sins of the world, all the suffering, all the death, and he nails it to the cross, That cross, which is the reversal of the tree, made of the same wood, but this time it's the vessel, it's the instrument for our salvation. And so this happens over and over again all through scripture. You could see these parallels with the old covenant, with the original sin, and with God coming into the world and saving us. And he's doing that today in our readings. So Jesus, right, he's in the northern kingdom, that historical place of suffering and division, and he comes proclaiming, My new kingdom is now at hand, the real kingdom, the kingdom of God. And so how then is he going to perfectly reverse it just as he did in the Garden of Eden? He starts to call his apostles. The end of the gospel today. Right? He calls Andrew. He calls the sons of Zebedee. And how many does he call? He calls 12. Those 12 apostles that we see on the facade of St. Peter's in Rome. Those 12 apostles who perfectly reversed the 12 tribes of Israel, bringing them to the newness of the kingdom. So those tribes that were decimated and divided, Jesus is bringing back into unity with his new kingdom, with his apostles, the true and promised kingdom. But then, you know, he doesn't do this just 2,000 years ago. It's a point in history that we look back on and remember. Its effects are lasting and real now, today. Today. We still have those apostles through the unbroken chain of succession, through our bishops, through our popes. Pope Francis traces his exact lineage back to St. Peter, the first pope. You could go on a website, called catholichierarchy.org, I believe, and you could trace any bishop in the world back, I think it goes back to the medieval era when they were starting to make manuscripts of all this. So you could trace our bishop, Bishop Malloy, back to France, I think, in like the 14th or 15th century. This is the good news, brothers and sisters. The news that Jesus brought healing and unity to his own time and that he still wishes to bring it to us today, to you and to me. He does this through his church, right? Through his bishops. He does it through scripture, his holy word, and through our beautiful sacraments, most especially in confession and the Eucharist. So imagine for a moment that you were one of those apostles down by the lake, right? Fishing today, mending your nets. In the land of Naphtali or Zebulun or St. Charles. And he approaches you, Jesus. You've never met him, yet his gaze pierces your soul and sees absolutely everything. And you just have this undoubtable sense that he loves you with everything. And then he says to you, Come after me, my kingdom is at hand. What do you do? Do you live everything you've ever known? all protection, all safety, are you all in? Because we know the apostles, we said they immediately, without a moment's hesitation, they just left. They left their father, they left their work, they left their home, and they followed him, proclaiming the kingdom of God. So powerful was this man and his call. They believed. Our call is no different, brothers and sisters. In a few moments, that same Jesus that called those apostles will be on this altar calling you beckoning, pining for your own heart. And so he asked you today in a new, but in the same way, will you follow me? Follow me with everything. Do you wish me to heal the torn land of your heart as I healed that land of the Northern Kingdom 2000 years ago? Do you wish to be with me in my kingdom, united again as one? The choice is ours given to us at baptism, but represented now in every day of our life. Will you follow?